Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm joined today by Leonard. How's it going, Leonard? Hello. What was that, Dave? How's it going? I, I'm good. <laughs> good. I, I, I stepped right over your, your secondary opening line. I'm good. Hi. Hi, audience. I'm doing well. I hope you're doing well, too. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing good. It's it's early in the morning, but far earlier where you are. <laughs> uh, what do we do on the show, Dave? We talk about monsters in popular culture, and that that's kind of it. That's what we do. That's that's yep. Yeah, that's what we have, do. We, talk we have about. have a chuckle, have a laugh. <laughs> yeah, we talk about monsters and. Pop culture across all media. And today we will be returning to the very lucrative, very profitable uh, media of print, which is totally not dying. Isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, I mean, this isn't even print media. It's like <laughs> digital media. So, yeah, we'll be returning to Melvina's Therapy to cover the, I think it's the sixth arc. I I lost track. It is the overview effect will be the name of that particular arc. Um, yes. But first, as always, or at least as usual, uh, we will be taking a look at a yokai, a weekly one. Yes. It is time. It is time. For yokai of the week. Bum, 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 bum. I need to add that back in digitally one of these times, but I'm going to just forget. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave. Uh, Enough preamble. Take those dice and roll them. Eight. Oh, eight. Okay. Oh, we are on the letter O, by the way, because we (laughs) forgot to mention that. Yeah. So, what on the list is number eight in O? Uh, I believe that that is the Okiku. Okiku, the plate-counting ghost of a servant girl. Looks like this is based on a particular Japanese ghost story entitled Bancho Sarayashiki, or The Dish Mansion. At Bancho, so Bancho is the, the place. Uh, oh, it has even a the, the tale is a ghost story of a broken trust and broken promises <laughs> leading to a dismal fate. Alternatively, referred to as the Sarayashiki, manner of dishes tradition, all versions of the tale revolve around a servant who dies unjustly and returns to haunt the living. That's usually how ghosts work. Usually. So we have a history segment and three different um, plot summaries because there is a spoken folk version, uh, a ningyo joruri version, so that's a um, puppet play. Okay. Uh, and then an okamoto kido version. Uh, I'm guessing that's a specific um, writer writer's version. So we'll we'll take a look at those summaries and first we'll look at the history of the the ghost in, in question. All right. Mm, I'll read that part. <laughs> okay. 
The story of the death of Okigu first appeared as a bunraku play called Bancho Sarayashiki in July 1741 at the Takeza Theater. The familiar ghost legend had been adapted into a uh, puppet play production by um, Asada Icho and Tamenaga Tarobe uh, the first. Uh, like many successful bunraku shows, a kabuki version followed, and in September 1824, Bancho Sara Sarayashiki was staged at the Nakano Shibai Theater, starring Otani uh, Tomoemon II and Araji Koroku IV in the roles of Aoyama Dai Daihachi and Okiku, respectively. A one-act kabuki version was created in 1850 by Segawa Joko III under the title Miro. Ryoshi Kogane no Kikuzuki. Uh, I don't have a translation for that, so we'll just keep going. Uh, we de which debuted at the Nakamura Theater and starred Ichikawa Danjuro the Eighth and Ichikawa Kodanji the Fourth in the roles of Tetsuzan and Okiku. This one-act adaptation was not popular and quickly folded. Until <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> it was passed. <laughs> Go ahead. That really, that really tickle, tickled me. That felt like some some color commentary added into this area. Wasn't popular. Folded, closed real quick. Okay, go go on. Uh, and then it was some time before it was revived. So over one hundred years. Um, June nineteen seventy one at the Shinbashi Ed, um, in Bujo Theater, starring the popular combination of uh, Kataoka Takao and Bando Tamas. Tamasaburo V in the roles of Tetsuzan and Okiku. Uh, it remained most, unpopular. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think that's the case, but <laughs> the most familiar and popular adaptation of Bancho Sarayashiki, written by Okamoto Kido. Okay, so that's the, the third version of it. Um, debuted in February 1916 at the Hongoza Theater. Starring Ichikawa Sadaji II and Ichikawa Shoujo II in the roles of Lord Harima and Okiku. It was a modern version of the classic ghost story in which the horror tale was replaced by a deep psychological study of the two characters' motivations. If you want to read the folk version of the plot summary, um, yes. Great. Um. <coughs> uh, uh, cough, 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 cough. <coughs> <laughs> and then a real cough. <laughs> uh, once there was a beautiful servant named Okiku. She worked for the samurai o Oyama. Oyama? Aoyama. Aoyama? Aoyama. Aoyama. Okay. Aoyama. Uh, Tessin. Uh, Okiku often refused his amorous advances. So he tricked her into believing that she had carelessly lost one of the family's tin presses, mm, precious, precious, uh, I don't know. Uh, Delft plates? Probably said Delft. Oh, it's okay. Delft pottery. Delft. Pottery. Okay. It's a Delft a <laughs> plates. Uh, such a crime would normally result in her death. Uh, in a frenzy, she counted and recounted the nine plates many times. However, she could not find the tenth and uh, went to Oyama in guilty tears. The samurai offered to overlook the matter 
if she finally became his lover. But again, she refused. Uh, enraged, Oyama threw her down a well to her death. Men, they love their wells. Uh, it is said uh, Okiku became a vengeful spirit uh, on Rio. Yep. Who tormented? Yes, who tormented her murderer by counting to nine and then making a terrible streak to represent the missing plate, or perhaps she had tormented herself and was still trying to find the tenth plate, but cried out in agony when she never could. In some version of the stories, the torment continued until an exorcist or a neighbor. Interchangeable shouted 10 in a loud voice at the end of her count. Her ghost finally relieved that someone had found the plate for her, haunted the samurai no more. So, those plates yeah. are, um, uh, Dutch, yes, uh, they are Dutch imports, so they would have been very expensive. incredibly, yes, okay, at the time. Uh, the Ningyo Joruri version. So this is the puppet play version. Uh, Hosokawa Katsumoto, Lord of the Himeji Castle, has fallen seriously ill. Katsumoto's heir, Tomonosuke, plans to give a set of ten precious plates to the shogun to ensure his succession. However, chief retainer Asayama Titsuzan plus take over. Tomonosuke's retainer, Funase Sampei Takezune, uh, is engaged to marry a lady-in-waiting, lady-in-waiting lady in Okiku. Tetsuzan plans to force Okiku to help him murder Tomonosuke. So it's a crazy revenge, not really revenge, but a, a plot, a plot to take over. Um, yes. Tetsuzan, through the help of a spy, steals one of the ten plates and summons Okiku to bring the box containing the plates to his chamber. There, he attempts to seduce Okiku. So this is similar to the other folk version. Um, she yes. refuses due to her love for ta- Takatsune. Rejected. Tetsuzan then has Okiku count the plates to find only nine. He blames her for the theft and offers to lie for her if she will be his mistress. Okiku again refuses, and Tetsuzan has her beaten with a wooden sword. Tetsuzan, well, this is taking a dark turn, so Tetsuzan then has her suspended over a well and, erotically enjoying her torture, has her lowered into the well several times, beating beating her himself when she is raised up. He demands that she become his lover and assist in the murder of Tomonosuke. She refuses again, whereas, whereupon Tetsuzan strikes her with his sword, sending her body into the well. While wiping clean his sword, the sound of a voice counting plates comes from the well. Tetsuzan realizes that it's the ghost of Okiku, but is entirely unmoved. The play ends with the ghost of Okiku rising from the well, Tetsuzan staring at her contemptuously. Um, yep, so it's kind of like the ring, but yeah, <laughs> slightly different. And just um, like, yep, yeah, can't, 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 can't not bring this one up. Uh, also, vaguely of uh, the uh, uh, the Grudge, yeah, or any <laughs> any sort of spooky ghost turning. Yep. Although hers isn't really for revenge, so um, she just bothers the murderer with counting of plates. Um, right. Decidedly less sinister. Uh, I'll, I'll read the next. So this is the Okamoto Kido version, the, the one that was popular. Um, 
1655 in Edo, a vassal of the shogun Aoyama Harima has fallen in love with the young servant girl Okiku. Aoyama has promised to marry her, but has re recently received an auspicious marriage proposal from, from an aunt. Uh, Aoyama promises Okiku that he will honor their love and refuse the proposal that he'd received. Um, Okiku doubts and tests him by breaking one of the ten heirloom plates that are the treasure of the Aoyama household. The traditional punishment for breaking one of the plates is death, which is demanded by Aoyama's family. At first, Aoyama is convinced that Okiku broke the plate by accident and pardons her. But when Okiku reveals that she broke the plate as a love test, Aoyama is enraged and kills her. Then he throws her body down a well. From then after, Okiku's yurei, her spooky spirit, is seen to enter the house and count the plates one through nine. Encountering her in the garden, Aoyama sees that her ghostly face is not one of vengeance, but beauty and calm. Taking strength from this, he commits seppuku and joins her in death. Okamoto's version is notable for being a much more romantic adaptation, uh, similar to the kabuki version of Otadoro. This was an influence of the Meiji Restoration, which brought Western plays to Japan for the first time. Western plays were much more noticeable for romantic elements, and this was adapted into a style of theater known as Shin Kabuki, so the new kabuki. Uh, this was ultimately an unsuccessful merger of East and West, although Okamoto's Bancho Sarayashiki remains as one of the few classics. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, so they tried to update did not work so well, but this is one of the few times where that update was a successful one. Fascinating. Probably because it ended and still ends in tragedy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't right, change right. from the, the intent. It just has a little bit more romance, kind of. Well, I don't think it's really romance, but um, the there's both sides are a little bit more romantic, I guess. Yes, it's 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 a little more Harlequin romancy than mm. than the other other yeah. verses. Yeah, it's it's a Romeo and Juliet if Romeo was a jerk. No, and and if Juliet was like, I'm hey, I'm going to I'm going to show up your your house and break your plates, but you love me so much that you'll get them to pardon me. It is I can't believe you broke the plates for our love. You're gonna have to pay. Basically, that's, that's, the, yes. that's the plot. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a section entitled Influences on Japanese Culture. Uh, okay. Read that one. Uh, in 1795, old wells in Japan suffered from an infestation, infest, mm, infestation of Bayasa larvae that became known as the okiku insect. This larva, covered with thin threads, making it look as though it had been bound, was widely believed to be a reincarnation of okiku. Uh, the Ningio... Uh, the pu puppet Jor play version. Ah, ah, the puppet play version uh, uh, of is set... In uh, uh, Hime, Himeji? Himeji Castle, Castle? yeah, Himeji Castle, a popular tourist attraction at the castle of Okiku Idol or Okiku's Well, 
Traditionally, this is where the hapless maid's body was thrown after being killed by Tetsuzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the castle is closed at night, it is said that her ghost still rises nightly from the well and counts to nine before shrieking and returning. <laughs> really? I don't, I, that last line just, just feels very, very Beetlejuice to me. Uh, <laughs> just like, yep, it's a living. Well, not really, because ghosts and all, but this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye next night. We'll be back. Yeah, she hit, she's got her own Japanese version of Juno, the caseworker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's Great. interesting that there's an actual um, I think it's a butterfly. Uh, oh yeah, yes, it's and a it's butterfly um, larva, and it, it's a it's a it's a very lovely one as well. Butterfly that is not larva. No, the larva okay, sound. Yeah. The larva sounds spooky. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. It's a reverse. Uh, origin i guess that they're yeah. norm- normally we're finding like the bug would have inspired the yokai but this is uh backwards yes they've taken, <laughs> they've taken a popular play and attributed its ghost to or not really attributed to attributed characteristics of it to something that's actually real yeah all because you got bug infested wells yep and someone was tossed out a well. Yep. Hmm. That is pretty interesting. There is an uh, ukiyo-e print, um, the woodblock print of uh, Okiku. So this is by Hokusai, which is a super influential ukiyo-e artist. And the... the it's, I'm guessing it's a well. It looks kind of like a bucket but uh, we'll say that it's a well. And um, the ghost of Okiku is depicted as a long sort of neck, but it's yeah. made of plates. Yep. <laughs> and like the, the plates, you'd think they'd be stacked, but they're stacked like flat. So there's the flat side of the plates touching each other to um, form the neck. And I guess it's cold out because she has misty breath. Also, I just realized that this is just th- that this this is is the well boss from Monster Party. <laughs> There's there is a boss in Monster Party that is just the well that shoots plates at you. Okay, well, childhood oh. mystery, <laughs> childhood mystery solved. Yes, now you know where it's from. <laughs> Uh, oh, have we? <laughs> I don't think we've done it. We should just do an episode on Monster Party because that game's goofy and full of yokai. <laughs> we'll have to schedule that for sometime in the, I don't know, the winter. Get around to it. Yep. Mm. Yeah, for all those people chomping at us to explore yeah. some uh, good old 8-bit Nintendo nonsense. Of course, of course. Yeah. They're there somewhere. So I think that it wraps up our Yokai of the Week. 
this was an yes. interesting one. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any further information from one of the tomes of lore. Um, yes. This one specifically relegated to plays, but this was a fairly informative uh, article. Yep. yep. So I think that, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say because it's really difficult to to adapt a floating ghost light into a play, so. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a little easier. Yeah. Puppet, puppet plates. <laughs> yeah. So that uh, brings us back to our core discussion for the episode, which is a return to Melvinus therapy. Uh, that's right mentioned the overview effect is the next mini it's a mini arc i guess yeah it's 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 one of the smaller ones um but i actually um and and uh in retrospect having having uh having read through the entire series at at this point and and having only previously read this this uh issue once um, I, the, this issue is actually really kind of important and kind of like a, a thesis statement for the rest of the series going on from this point. Good to know. I can see, I, not having read anything past this, I, I feel like I have an idea of what this is being used to do. Um, mm-hmm. and I will also say in, in hindsight on looking at what has come before this is probably one of the spookier ones like mm-hmm. just what it's dealing with and how it's how the events um in this sort of self-contained story are being um, portrayed uh artistically um yes. this was a creepier one to look at probably because it's so short and yeah everything needed to be conveyed in a kind of quicker um, manner rather than being, being drawn out as they were in the first, probably like four um, little arcs. Yes. So this one in particular is concerned with a, a patient of Melvina's, of course, as they generally all are. Um, we are introduced to Aldrin. Mm-hmm. Is an astronaut. Subtle. <laughs> very yes did not i did not see that coming actually the name was the naming convention was a little bit of a surprise because you're or the as a reader you're kind of dropped into the story through um uh personal uh, like first person narrative yes um and it's it's not um clear who is talking it's like a voiceover mm-hmm. and then we get the the sting of the name Aldrin. I was like, oh, that's sure. I got okay. <laughs> that works mm-hmm. for me. It works. And then we immediately, then uh, almost immediately afterwards, we get the sting of a space shuttle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Space shuttle blasting off. Um, I think just so the the story itself and the, the initial narrative are being spoken of in uh, a nostalgic tone, like a fondness um, mm-hmm. for, for one's uh, childhood kind of dreams that ultimately do come to fruition. And right. that's 
it's sort of a pleasant um opening and something i really wasn't expecting uh kind of going into this just based on everything that we've generally get um from the previous installments of melvinus therapy and that the picture of the rocket ship um i think is done in a, such a way that it kind of conveys that very well to the read like that gave me a sense of nostalgia as well even for mm-hmm. something like i'm not an astronaut but <laughs> of course but just uh the, the imagery was well done yes in that in that respect so aldrin um has he's he's ostensibly returned um after a mission to yes. uh to repair space. um <laughs> a, a space station it's not like the iss it's just a smaller space station yes and small research yeah. scientific and it's um trying to think of what this reminds me of there was a there's a music video <clears throat> and the i don't i don't know why i can't think of um the band because that's silly of me to forget uh, who does black hole sun sound uh sound garden sound garden so i i <laughs> want to say it's a, a more recent sound garden music video mm-hmm. um where it's on a space station like this one and it's from the point of view of a um a lone uh, astronaut who is manning the station and is sending um videos back to his wife and communicating to his wife through through these videos but there's of course a delay so uh, i think the delay gets longer and longer it's not I think initially it's maybe minutes, but then it turns into like hours and, and longer periods of time right. um, <clears throat> between each video coming back and forth. And there's a um, sort of outbreak, I think, in, I don't remember if it's due to the experiments or some sort of radiation um, of the plants he's studying that in, eventually, I think, infest the uh, astronaut and it yeah. makes stuff go crazy. Um that's I've only I saw the video quite a quite a while ago, so I don't remember like the exact details. But that's what this feels like. It's kind of doing. It's yes. drawing from that well of spookiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm for this, but the the <laughs> one the one difference is we're getting this story being told to or told to us by uh, an astronaut that returned to t- talk about. This mission, something has obviously gone wrong because he's in Melvinus therapy. <laughs> he's he's right. seeing this particular therapist um, about his issues um, that he developed while returning from uh, after the mission. Right, which is actually kind of interesting and and kind of a, a change from um, from the other patients that we've dealt with so far in Melvinus therapy. Which is there was no traumatic or uh, traumatic life event previous. The 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 issue is that he went into space and uh, and and <laughs> and saw the world <laughs> for <laughs> to to um, yeah <laughs> yeah um, because the uh, the uh, episode's name uh, the overview effect is is an actual thing. <laughs> it's uh, it's the effect of of going into space 
and seeing the entire planet and realizing just how fragile our little blue dot is floating in the infinite void and it apparently seems to cause a perspective shift uh uh typically in the astronauts that perceive it um and uh they uh come back from their space missions slightly with a slightly changed perspective and personality from from all indications yes and that's what uh that's the issue that he's dealing with. Um, right. For Although for him, it's not something that he's named. It's something that's being told to him that this is, this is probably what's bothering you um, yep. in, in particular, but he does lay out, um, that's kind of what we get with the, with the prologue. He lays out what has shifted in his perception. Um, not necessarily the, the why of it, but, mm-hmm. but what he's experiencing. And, a large uh, portion of that and a large portion of the initial horror or what you've noticed is kind of going on in this, uh, in this episode is that uh, when he returned, he has a wife and child. Um, and he, he says it's, it's, he doesn't feel that it's, uh, that the change is him. The change is kind of external. It's everything else is wrong or off Mm -hmm. Um, he he meets his wife and son and he feels that they are characters uh, of of people there's something uh literally i guess figuratively at this point um flat about their presentation to him and Mm -hmm. the the art does a phenomenal job of illustrating this as uh, we we're we're greeted with a sort of image of his um, wife and child waiting uh, on the it's not the porch but the sidewalk whatever they mm-hmm. walk up to the house and he's he's going to them and he's gonna you know give his son a hug and then the the viewer their perspective shifts slightly and the we we can see that the the wife and child have been rendered as literal cardboard cutouts. Now they aren't, um, they're not literally cardboard cutouts, but that's the art is doing that to give us a better sense of what, um, the main character Aldrin is, is feeling. Right. So it's, Um, it's sort of, it's, it's horrifying in its implications, um, for him. Yes. And by extension, the, the reader, like that's not that's just a the, the literal that just I was, I keep saying that. that's just the tip of the iceberg of what he feels is wrong because if if something that immediate and close to him isn't correct then how how would everything else feel where you're already sort of removed from it yes exactly like, like it should all just completely feel fake like, like yeah um and it should be uh, uh, it should also be noted that uh that uh Aldrin's uh particular perspective shift is that uh he uh somewhat he he saw the world as a uh, a fishbowl with plenty of lovely goldfish swimming about in it um and 
realize that by being able to see the fishbowl and existing outside of that fishbowl that he was simply contained within another fishbowl. Another smaller fishbowl. Yes. Like that that's sort of, that's sort of important that he's because he's outside and able to when he's in his spaceship. Um he's mm-hmm. viewing the earth and its inhabitants as a as a fishbowl. It's something that uh it's a it's a contained thing, but because it's a fishbowl and he's seeing the earth and its atmosphere um as mm-hmm. what's kind of keeping everything safe um as the glass is theoretically it's keeping the, the fish safe from if the glass breaks the, the fish will die. There's no way they can survive in, in another element. Same thing with the the earth. If the atmosphere is gone everything on the planet will perish exactly um he's outside of that but no less contained from the the ravages of the void Mm -hmm. but melvina's um cure (laughs) her treatment for his uh malady is he needs to if he's gone beyond the original fishbowl once, like he needs to do that one more time, like right. to, to pull himself further out and then really understand everything, like shift his perspective once more and make it grander or larger view. And that should settle his issue. Yes. Sounds great it, in, uh, <laughs> in theory. <laughs> Yep. Uh, Melvina attempts to fish uh, Seption uh, Aldrin. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, or even um, you could kind of look at some of the events here as um, influenced by um, Interstellar. Yes. Yes. That's probably, I think that's a pretty good idea. The idea of the Tesseract and everything kind of pulling yourself out of the universe but but withdrawing into like the the, the tesseract of the time space continuum i don't know <laughs> that was a right. pretty highbrow film so that that stepping back needs to be that far like outside of reality almost and yes and snippets of that outside reality have sort of leaked i guess they've they've Mm -hmm. come out into um the space station yes and that's part of the issue um unknowingly that uh aldrin and his um co-astronaut juliet yes um, are there to fix they're they're ostensibly there to fix a um module i don't remember what it's a specific like chip that they have to replace um to repower the 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 station has lost power Mm -hmm. and it it looks like it's a shorted out module um or some sort of maybe it was damaged by space debris they don't know they're just sent up there to fix it and restore power um yes again there was one lone astronaut um joseph conrad is the the lone human occupant of of this um science uh station and there he he i don't know if it's been weeks 
it's been some amount of time that um, the station has been out of contact with Earth. Yes, it's been weeks, and he's been in space for nearly a year yeah. by himself. Because that's all sounds like a good idea. It sounds great. Um, it's only great if right? you have clones to take your place. Yeah, uh, that's right. It but is. There's no. But don't here. wake him up too early. Don't wake him up too early. You might. They might need <laughs> another one, and then it just makes a big mess. Phenomenal movie. Go watch Moon if you haven't seen it. Yep. Um. So they they go to the station to rendezvous with Joseph Conrad, check in on their boy, and make sure everything's okay and restore power to the station. That's not right. what happens. Nope. <laughs> of course. Uh, so what do they find when they get to the station? Uh, they find uh, that there's no power. Uh, that Mr. Conrad has not met them, and that there's a creepy AF robot. <laughs> yes, Otix, the yeah. medical robot. I don't know. I'm thinking medical yeah. robot. They didn't explain. Yeah. Um, and Joseph Conrad is not on the station. There's nope. nobody there. Just a spooky... It's like... It's the eyes, maybe the face. It's not a pleasant looking robot that you'd want to be in close proximity with i think ever yeah you're not dealing with your you're not dealing with your your cute like mitsubishi robot with the projector emoji face we're dealing with like it looks like a, a ninja turtle but also a burn victim um yeah it's it not has- it's not great <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's great. It's great. It's great design. It's just <laughs> horrifying. Um, but it's inactive. So yes. um, all power in the station. I don't know if it was auxiliary, but the, it was everything was turned off. Um, yep. So they're they're freaking out. Um, sort of. I mean, they're not like actually out, no. But they're they're, 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 they're I was say they're actually they're pretty calm and rational. They don't see any sign of trouble other than <laughs> Joseph Conrad is not there. So they're yeah. thinking, oh, he went out to um, uh, fix it himself. Like that yes. has to be the only explanation. And so maybe he became untethered. I mean, there's all kinds of horrible things um, that can happen in, in space. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Hey, hey, hey! Watch Gravity, so you can yeah. watch all all of the horrible possible things that can happen in space happen to one person, and probably. Yeah. So they go out um, to repair the, uh, the the module, and yes. they succeed. They restore power to the station, um, but in doing so, the, like it turns on the lights and whatnot, uh, that illuminates literally the situation, and they find the um, unfortunate corpse of uh mr conrad floating just behind the i think it's a solar panel array yeah um, and so they 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 bring him back into the uh into the ship so they can properly um send him off or whatever <laughs> so, 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 so aldrin can make juliet really uncomfortable because ooh, our dear mr conrad is Hey, guess what? Space will mess you up if you if you crack the helmet on your suit. Yeah, yeah he's uh, again excellent, creepy space bloat. Yep, with bulging eye. It looks like um, 
uh, yeah, it's horrendous, <laughs> horrendously bloated face with bulgy eyes. Yeah, it's it's think 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 the ending of of Total Recall, but not uh, as 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 weirdly goofy looking. Yeah, as, it's not as... it's not funny at all. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't funny. Arnold eyeballed. It's ugh, space gross. Um, face rotten, rotten space face. Yep. Yeah. So, um, on top of that, they find uh, the video journal entries um, of Joseph Conrad and um, surprisingly um, and and because the story is a little bit shorter they like watch the first entry and then like you know let's just skip all of them and go to the last one because that would tell us what happened Um, yes this is smart please do this in like movies too this is a (laughs) let's just cut to the chase don't worry about all the extra stuff Watch the last entry, but the last entry is usually the one that gives away the entire plot, and so we can't have have that. We got to spread them out. Yeah, but this one doesn't do that. It just kind of uh, it conveys to the well, both Aldrin and Juliet, as well as us, that um, something was horribly wrong um, with Joseph. Yes, but by extension, potentially the station, because what's happened is in the um, the video entry, he has um, kind of telltale hearted himself. He he thinks he can hear the heartbeat of the station. Something in there is he's not alone, right? But he can't see anything, or can he? He did see something, but not in this entry. It's in a later one. Or earlier, it is also. Oh, I was gonna say it is also interesting that his last video entry is just uh, eleven. Like it's it's a it's a series of videos one through eleven. So it isn't like an entry every day. It's it's been it's a just, weird, yeah. slow process. It's just when there's been issues. I think I don't think this is a, right. Uh, it's not a daily log. It's like problems have occurred here's what he's thinking about right yeah and he so he's mentioning that he's having nightmares and that's part of the problem and then he's having trouble distinguishing his waking life with the nightmares which is Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think it outright says that but that's what's happening um and Something else is happening because they restored power to the station. Our good old buddy Oddix um, has been reactivated and is far creepier um, when he's moving around and, and talking um, than he was as an inanimate uh, robo boy. Yeah, he's just too spooky. Yep. But uh, Aldrin is um, beginning to experience these, um, or at least a series of strange dreams um, only to be uh, sort of stalked by Oddix when he's asleep. It's, it's super effective. He's, he's being deadly friended um, by Oddix, the robot. Yes. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that um, Oddix accosts him while he's asleep in, in, in one of the 
in one of the chambers, uh, which means that he's strapped to a wall because that's what you have to do in space. Um, um, in like a little cocoonish sleeping bag, uh, which in and of itself, like being startled awake by somebody in that situation where you can't even instantly react to defend yourself, terrifying. Um, but I think the really interesting thing is that uh, Onyx knows Aldrin's name. Yes, um, despite not having been told that. Although um, we are given a little bit of backstory, like slightly later, where uh, Joseph Conrad, or, so Aldrin isn't just, or originally he's not there just to repair the ship. He was Joseph Conrad's replacement or partner yes. or whatever. Um, so that is part of the mission, like accepted briefing he I don't know how we don't we're not given how much Otix is connected to the ship. Right. We don't, we don't know the extent of that. But if he were to be connected to the the ship's logs or whatever, um the AI idea of this is not very it's not there's no time spent on developing and it's not super important. But right. you could assume that if Joseph Conrad knows who his next mission replacement is, um, that it's logged somewhere in the ship. Um, and right. by extension, Onyx can know it. However, it's far spookier if you don't think about that. And um, given that Joseph Conrad in a later v- video that Aldrin sees um, specifically says part of his nightmare is that he, while he thinks he's alone, he has seen something or someone. Yep. And the thing he's seen coming out of the darkness in one of the corridors of the station is the bloated space corpse of Aldrin. Yes. Which really is just his own bloated corpse. Like, once you do the art is the same. Yes. Oh, and it's also uh, another another uh, point with the, the, the fact that Audix knows uh, Aldrin's name is that he doesn't know Juliet's name. No. And specifically asks her what her name is. Yeah. So I um and you could look at that that Juliet was not an original part of the mission. She's just up there as support for Aldrin who's repairing the the station. Right. But it doesn't make it any less creepy. Um yeah. <laughs> that was his name. Um I'm trying to think of it cuts a little bit back and forth, so the, the timeline on this is intentionally a little bit wonky. Um, yes. So we get back to the the therapy sessions. Um, nothing else is really covered because we we talked about what's happening. They, it's just Melvina telling him you need to go further uh, into the matrix. I mean, out of the fishbowl, um, and it's kind of drifting in between the events of Aldrin being on the station and then having come home. Uh, it cuts back and he's getting, there's more problems with Onyx. He's, Aldrin's doing his um, uh, resistance workouts to, to keep his muscles, you know, firm uh, as much as you can in, in, in the space environment. Um, and Onyx uh, in between, so he's doing like kind of crunches and it, the, the frame is showing his view and then it cuts back to him. And then Onyx is getting closer and then all of a sudden Onyx is gone. Yep. And, that's already kind of spooky. Um, 
Uh, I believe this is where it... it uh, we've seen a few of the um, sort of experiments, the, the, the traditional, like, here's a couple plants we have in space, and right. uh, there's and some, some fish. rats. Yep. Actually, yeah. So a couple animals, everything's dead um, because the power had been off for so long. Uh, but it, the camera mm, frames do linger on um, those dead things. Right. Uh, and they were treated to Onyx um, malfunctioning, I guess. He's basically saying he needs to finish a procedure um, and he has a horribly... I was going to say spooky. It's not spooky. It's just a horrifying um, scalpel arm that comes out of his yep. chest. And it's, yep. It's articulated scalpel arm. I hate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's saying he needs to complete a procedure. Um, of course, Juliet is there at the time, and he is further trying to accost her by completing a procedure that you would need a scalpel arm for. And she's not happy because that's threatening. Uh, yeah <laughs> and aldrin aldrin shows up because i think she's screaming and the station yes. is small so he comes to the rescue and and pushes onyx who slams into one of the fish tanks breaking it uh and releasing the fish and water um which triggers some yep and, <laughs> and also triggers something in aldrin uh and while he's distracted, uh, Onyx then proceeds to immediately kill Juliet with his horrible scalpel arm. And he shanked her. Yep. And horribly is saying, procedure complete. Procedure yep. complete. Now you just stabbed her, buddy. Right in the ribs or the heart or something. It's not clear. But she, she didn't make it. Um, although I think she is still alive at that point, but it's like a mortal wound yeah because aldrin says that he watches her fade away yeah. in front of him and i think at this point he's disassociating fairly quickly yeah because he says he doesn't feel uh the remorse or any strong emotion um as she's dying yes which is super it's only because he saw the um the fish and the water yeah. exploding uh, because as it turns out, um, that when the scene kind of cuts back to, uh, Melvina, uh, who is, uh, she's not, she's just in his face. She's like telling him, you know, he needs to go to get out, you know, go further, get out of the fishbowl, make, make, make the jump. Um, he has his, we're interspersed with, um, uh, he used to, I guess, play with his son on a trampoline, and his and his sons can telling him, "Jump, dad, jump!" So everyone's you know screaming, "Jump!" at him. Uh, but the the key point is, Melvina tells him that he's not even there; he's still on the station, so he never came back came to back. Earth. So the the sense of time is like not only wrong it's twisted yes along with the a, a sense of space and yeah. place yeah. because everything's off right but it it's echoing really uh, this is where i felt that 
that kind of a tangible tie-in with um, Interstellar and how they're dealing with the time-space continuum while making it slightly event horizon-y. Yep. Um, but just that idea of uh, uh, not being on Earth but still affecting things that are there or vice versa, things on Earth affecting you while you're not there in, in space. Right. So it's kind of, it's showcasing the depth of what Melvina is sort of capable of. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, this ultimately is showing her efforts don't always bear fruit in the way that she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, in in getting him to go further and in, in embracing that fear, because ultimately what she's wanting to do is extract those things from her patients to, right. to give her longevity um, and power or whatever. Uh, but the thing she's telling him to do is sort of a double-edged sword for her. Like it's going to work or it's not, but even if it works, it's not a guaranteed success uh, for her. It's not always a victory. It's right. a ga- it's a gamble, and I think that's what ultimately all of her things are. Is her and we we've talked about this last time, or maybe the time before, but she's she does sort of small things and wants bigger things out of them. But a lot of it's butterfly effect stuff where she can guide things a certain way, but can't um, predict the outcome. Right. She can she can steer it and 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 aim for like the best. Um, but in this case in particular, that's not enough. Like she needs to have more control over the outcome than she does or appears to have. Yes. You know, because, because in this, she, she does ultimately fail. Um, uh, Aldrin does take the jump. He, he goes beyond the beyond. Right. You know, he leaps in fishbowl. fishbowl. You're right. With the implication being, he exits the 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 known universe of of our reality. Um, uh, But unfortunately, much like a fish jumping out of the fishbowl, he's not equipped to exist outside of that reality and dies. It's not even that he dies. The problem for Melvina is that his his transcendence becomes mm-hmm. literal and right it's a transmogrification of his body into that of a fish right so it his the, the vessel that he is containing whatever thing that she seeks became unusable right she needed him to transcend to get that to get that heightened whatever fear place but he did so and like became a different thing that's not usable to her. She can't use a dead fish to get the blood serum stuff from, which makes this like far more effective as just the horror idea. You get sort of um, almost a, it's not really Lovecraftian. It's something else. It, it's a body horror on another level, but that idea of uh, ex- existing on a different plane, but you can't even exist as yourself. Um, the 
we we I think we covered it in um uh I think it was an Ashton Clark story. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, they they go to that happy universe um but the universe is really just being destroyed. So Yeah. They they get more powerful but it doesn't matter ultimately because the place they went to is collapsing. So right. you, you found a paradise, but it can't maintain itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind on a because it's an extra dimensional story um, and they do come back to this dimension afterwards, but they become they're lesser rather than more. Right. And that's exactly what happens here. He may have transcended, but his body became lesser and useless. So we don't right. know his ultimate fate. I mean, he you know his mental situation could have been freed and he's in the cosmos somewhere but he ultimately it doesn't matter because he dies right at least in this well incarnation and also the implication is that he his transcend his transcendence leaves him um uh, uh completely disassociated from his former self so yeah it's, it's a death of the self so it's really it's a yes. lot of buddhist uh <laughs> It's a Buddhist cosmology kind of dealing with here. Um, right. But it's very interesting because it's taken through more of a Western lens looking at it and like how it's, how it's done. And also framing it in this kind of sci-fi setting, I think, makes it more effective. Mm-hmm. Particularly as a horror story. This is not, yeah, everything's very spooky. And it's a light. I read this, I think, twice and then just kind of yep. skimmed it afterwards. The first time I got... I got the intent of it, but I think the horror of it came on the second time I was reading it. Mm-hmm. Just I, I had more time to devote to look at the individual panels and then see what the art was doing and kind of conveying. Whereas the first time I just wanted the story. Yeah, right, right, right. And of course, the art, as usual, is gorgeous and and evocative and terrifying because. Man, the art's so good in this. It, it in is this good. <laughs> and, I, and I think um, uh, the, the meta context of what this story is, uh, is, is also worth um, looking at. Uh, generally, these, these stories, um, as they're presented, because these are, after, these are done um, kind of as part of a Patreon. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're funded that way. Um, and then the 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 webcomic is posted, and then at the end there's explanation coupled with um, uh, Patreon members like uh, qu- quotes, mm-hmm. people's questions, and, questions. and, and things yes. like that that are being addressed um, by the author. This one does that, and then twists everything because it's showing it, it's framing the story as if it exists as more than a story and outside it's like kind of breaking the fourth wall is what it's doing right um, at the very end so uh the normal quotes or questions from uh readers are included but they begin to distort made into part of the artwork yeah uh and even the explanations for the story that are normally included are there, but they, they become increasingly illegible until they just become a sort of digital mess. Yeah. Uh, and it's, 
it's very Twilight Zone ish. Yes, like it's it's twisting this story and the narrative, but also the the meta context of it, showing that you can't even rely. Like even the story that you're reading, even though you see it on a a website, is like not uh, reliable. Right. Um. It's six. It's, it's you have to. If you didn't already read it, go back and look at it that way because it's um, very effective. But I think it brings a lot more to what Melvina's therapy is about, mm-hmm. and it's trying. It's addressing that in the comments as well, um, but sort of like turning it a little bit askew. So you're you're basically getting uh, the overview effect thrust upon you right in regard to melvina's therapy as a whole like right. it's, it's twisting the narrative enough to where you're seeing the cardboard cut outside of it exactly and something's well, something's beyond that mm-hmm. so the inherent artifice of of yes of what you're you're seeing the entire the entirety of 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 melvina's therapy uh, oh, right. We should also mention um, uh, that this ends on a very bizarre stinger because uh, after after the uh, uh, the assumed failure of Aldrin, uh, Melvina leaves her office and proceeds down the hallway where she collapses and is greeted by an old friend. Right, Dave? Yes, the Melvina chair. Yep. Back, back the wheelchair if they reach chair. back from like <laughs> the first uh it's literally like the second yeah. issue yeah, yeah. of of Melvina. Um and and it should be noted that there is an explanation of that wheelchair given, which is that wheelchair exists to inform somebody that it is time to give up and 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 move on and 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 pass away. Yes, because ultimately her experiment um, here was a failure. She did not get what she needed um, from Aldrin. And that is, it becomes that idea of, uh, yeah, being sort of forced forced to give up. Yes. At this point, because the chair is is not a, um, it's not something that you're wanting to be there. It's it's always there really it's the, that specter of uh doubt incompetence i mean you know any kind of negative thing that would cause you to stop doing what you're doing right um but also it's an inevitable thing which is maybe it's kind of worse yeah so it yeah it it starts off pretty far away you can you can always you can always see it you always know that it's there but it creeps ever closer until you just have to take a seat. Yep. Uh, and I, I also really like the idea that once again, as you mentioned, uh, she, she, she sets things in, in motion, but doesn't seem to fully ha- have full control over, over uh, the things that she sets in motion. So I think it's, it's interesting that the, the, the chair is probably a a 
a a physical manifestation of that concept that she she managed to construct but even it will uh affect her um because it is it is not something that she controls it is just something that she has manifested that it's it's been brought into a real thing and then that it became it's an aid to her uh overall goal the thing that she wants to happen it benefits her that it's there but again that idea of a double-edged sword it it's a problem (laughs) because it's always there because it's there for her too and 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 right and it uh, and the i think that also the really interesting implication of this is that she herself saw aldrin as the ultimate ends to her goal and that failure finally caused her to realize that she needed to give up on her personal dream which we still have no idea of but yeah. if we look at if we look <laughs> at the clues presented in this issue might be able to figure it out we'll have to find out in a future episode right. of Melvina's Therapy. Well, I think hey. that probably wraps us up for this one, unless you had anything else you wanted to cover. Nope. Think we Just wanted to say, hey, <laughs> this, this series is, is it continues to be top-notch, high-quality, good stuff, because it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surprisingly better each as it goes. Yes. And that, and that's rare. Um, for something to maintain like that level of steam and to keep pressing forward uh, while having essential narrative, but able to explore side things that still relate to the, the end. Right. And that's of course what, what some of the comments were. Um, people, people were uh, complaining and not understanding um how this was kind of being played out and feeling that stuff was being sidetracked from what they thought was the, um, the main battle between the two um, therapists. Whereas this is still, it's, it's an expositionary um, episode. Yes. Issue. This is giving you backstory um, or it's not even really back, but just, just a, a, a reasoning behind things without showing its full all the all the the hand right and 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 once again i i coming from the perspective of somebody that has has read through the series like this coming back to this um this uh issue um because i while i enjoyed it it didn't really stick with me like the others uh preceding it and and some of the others following it but coming back to it, I realized that this is is like a linchpin issue that really just kind of lays it out all in front of you without you realizing it because you don't have the context for it yet. Yeah. But nevertheless, I think it feels fairly important it, 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 because it exists. Yes. And it, it's important. Like, you're right. The the the. the the author of this series has made no um, wrong phrase, like sort of 
taken pains to taken the time to put specific references and specific things and in such intricate details that you generally would um, skip on, on first reading it, not knowing how much extra background things are in just a, a panel. Right. You know, so understanding that and going into these, I mean, I'm scouring the panels trying to find like, what could that be? Is that the, the detail on the shirt's a little different? Is there something wrong with the name tag? You know, you're looking at it at that level. Um, why would there be a useless or side story chapter that doesn't that doesn't affect things? Right, like there wouldn't. It's, it takes too much time to, to create these, you know. So I think the importance uh, is equal in equal measure um, for each of these each of these chapters. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Well, I think that that does in fact wrap us up. So um, Leonard. Where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. They can also find me on YouTube uh, by uh, entering YouTube backslash forward slash. I can never remember C slash Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, which will take you to my channel where I talk about video games because I like them. And you, Dave, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, and then the podcast in general on monsterdeamonster.com in case you need to check out some of the back issues. And um, I would recommend if you somehow skipped over them to go back to the, the issues we covered uh, on Melvinus therapy previous to this, because everything ties together. And uh, we, we use that to create more context um, for, for our discussion of this uh, great webcomic. And Cameron, our absent host, um, should you wish to check out fun cat pictures and all various sort of things of that nature. Uh, sometimes spooky Australian lizards. Um, those kind of things. You can find him on Twitter at night underscore yes. twin. And that's night without a K. And I yes. think that is us signing off for this episode. We will see you next week, actually. And we're back to a, for now, weekly schedule. So right. Bye, everyone. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. <laughs>